My wife and I on Wednesday celebrated 15 years of holy matrimony. Very excited about that. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, the cool thing is we talked about it. We both decided to go for 16. So that's good. We're off to a good start. Um, but whenever an anniversary comes up, I, I don't know if you guys do this, those of you that are married, but my wife and I, whenever our anniversary comes up, we always end up talking about how we met and uh, kind of our, our boy meets girl story. Um, and, uh, you know, so for Carrie and I, we've been married for 15 years. We dated for four and a half years before we got married. So this December, it'll actually be 20 years since we, uh, we started dating and all that stuff uh, that we've kind of been doing uh, life together. Um, but we met, my wife and I, if you don't know the story, we met at a mutual friend's house. Uh, we both had a friend who was throwing a party, and we were both invited. Neither of us had ever been to this guy's house before. Neither of us have ever gone to his house since that night that we met. So it tells you, I think, a little bit about how good of friends we were with this guy. Um, but it was December It was December 5th, 1992. Never forget that. And um, I walked in, and some of the people, when I walked into this party, some people recognized me from the band that I was in. And so immediately, um, kind of this crowd started to form um, around me, and there was a guitar there and an amp. Like, hey, play some stuff. So I get the guitar and I start playing. And across the room, I see this stunningly beautiful girl. I was 19. Um, Carrie was 18 uh, at the time, and uh, you know, and she looked totally disinterested in me. And her lack of interest in me created in me an interest in her. Um, and so I went over and introduced myself. Hi, my name is Bob. She says, hi, my name is Carrie. And um, now what I didn't know is that she already knew who I was because she actually was into our band and had been to a bunch of our shows. But she didn't she didn't give that off at all. She's like, oh, who is this guy? You know, this stuck up musician, whatever, you know, thinks the world revolves around him. And um, so as I like to tell Carrie, um, you know, Jesus has kept us together. But heavy metal is what brought us together. So anyway, um, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, but, you know, so we start talking, put down the guitar, we start talking. And I ask, uh, I ask her some questions about, uh, you know, her getting to know her. And she told me that she just finished her first semester of college and uh, that she just loved school. She had just gotten straight A's her first semester. And, uh, and then she asked me if I liked school. And uh, now, if we can sidebar for a moment. Um, it took me five years to graduate from high school. So as I like to say, uh, being a senior was the best two years of my life. And, uh, and the other thing is, like, I mean, not only did it take me an extra year, but I mean, it was like I had to go to summer school every year. And then for, at one point I was doing day and night classes. I mean, it was a, I was a train wreck when it came to school. I had just graduated, and then I was going to take the entire next semester off, the whole summer off, and then I was going to start school that next fall. So I would kind of prepared like a nine-month vacation for myself before I started school. So now she asks me, <clears throat> do you like school? And so I tell her the truth. And I say, listen, I love school. In fact, people tell me I'm at school more than anybody else they know. And uh, I'm just always there. I just love to soak it in, you know. Um, and now I will tell you this because sometimes she, she gets on me and she says, you know, I can't believe that you would, you started our relationship off with a lie. I can't believe that. What's wrong with you that you would do that? Why can't you tell me the truth? This whole thing that she'll say. And, uh, now what's funny is that, you know, after all that, I did end up starting college, finishing, graduating from college. And, um, I got a theology degree and then 
soon after that, I was actually became the director of a Bible college um, here in South Florida. And um, so as she knows, whenever she gets into her whole thing, like, I can't believe you lied to me. And I say, listen, honey, it wasn't a lie. It was a prophecy. It's what was going to happen. I didn't even know what was going to happen, but that's that's what it was. And so um, so that's when we, we first met. It was about two weeks later that we went out on our first date. And um, I showed up in a 19, it was my first car, it was a 1982, like faded gold, uh, 1982 Volkswagen Rabbit diesel. Now, by the way, it wasn't like diesel gas was available everywhere like it is now. There was like three gas stations in Florida that had diesel gas. So I, every, wherever I went, I had to be strategic about where, you know, and it wasn't like I could ask Siri, Siri, where's the nearest ga- diesel gas station? You know, it was just like, you know, I just had to know where the gas stations were or I was going to be pushing that rabbit for a long time. And um, so I show up at her house in that um, in that vehicle, um, which it barely qualified. But I get out of the car and you got to understand what I was wearing for my first date with this woman who eventually I would marry and would bear my three children. Um, uh, I was wearing cut off pajama pants that I bought at a thrift store for 50 cents. And uh, they were full pajamas, but I cut them at the knees. And then you know how when you cut, you know, the shirt or pants and then you wash them and they get like all those little like fringy things at the bottom. And it wasn't even like the cool fringes that like, you know, Hasidic Jews have or whatever. Just all a mess. And um, so I had there was that. And then um, I was wearing this um, my favorite TV show of all time uh, besides the Brady Bunch is this show called Star Blazers. Now, Star Blazers is a Japanese uh, anime show um, that takes place in the year 2099. Uh, someday I'll give you the whole thing about, I'll tell you who the Gamelons are and how they're destroying the earth with radiation. We'll talk about that some other time. But anyway, so the star, I, I went in a comic book shop and I found the Star Blazers shirt, shirt and I started jumping up and down like a little girl at a Justin Bieber concert. Ah! So I'm freaking out. They have the, so I buy the Star Blazers shirt. So I'm putting on my best. It's a black shirt and in orange letters it says Star Blazers. And, uh, and then, <clears throat> now you have to understand, um, when my wife met me, I had a, um, I had a purple mohawk. Uh, now I have the reverse, but back then I had a mohawk. And, um, <clears throat> and, but I had start, over the course of a couple weeks, I decided to grow it out. So I was going to get kind of like a normal, somewhat normal haircut. And um, so I'm growing out the purple mohawk, but there's still a little bit of purple. And then, so uh, what was totally like razor shaved was now like some peach fuzz. And then I also decided at the same time, since I'm growing stuff out, I should grow a beard at the same time. So I'm growing a beard. This part is still somewhat purple. This has a little bit of hair. I mean, I was like a chia pet gone wild. Um, So what I did was to cover that, I got this, I had this plaid hat and I had this plaid hat backwards. So plaid hat growing out some kind of facial hair madness, star blazers shirt, 50 cent pajama pants. Hi, I'm here to pick up your daughter. (laughs) No, you're not. And I'm telling you, I was thinking about this. I was telling Carrie, and I'm like, could you imagine if I, you know, like somebody just like me, like many, many years from now, walks up and say, I would like to take one of your two daughters out on a date. And it's like, as long as, you know, as long as I draw breath, that ain't going to happen. And uh, and so Carrie's like, well, what are you going to do? I said, I'm not really exactly sure what I'm going to do, but I know a Glock will be involved. Um, 
I'm going to show him my Glock. I'm going to say, you're going to see the business end of this Glock if something happens, and then I will have a full-time prison ministry from the inside. So that's kind of the idea as to how that's going to work. And, um, but, but, um, you know, <clears throat> you know, now it's like 20 years have gone by. You know, the, it's a cool thing um, that I have spent more of my life with my wife than I have without her. That is a really cool thing. And um, for me, because we got we got to, we got together. She was I was 19. She was 18. Um, <clears throat> and uh, I know you're like 19, 18. You guys both look like you're 25. I know. Don't hate me because I'm beautiful. Um, but you know. Three kids later, and I can honestly tell you this, we've never been happier. I've never loved my wife more than I do now. Um, and I'm pretty sure she feels the same way because I tell her that's how she should feel. Um, but, <laughs> um, but you know, I was, uh, my daughter and I, I have a, a daughter who's five, and we were out the other day um, getting, some, like, getting some coffee. Well, she doesn't drink coffee, but she was getting a hot chocolate. We were at Starbucks. So we're doing like this Saturday morning um, daddy-daughter date. We do these fairly regularly. And um, so I was there, and I'm talking to the to the girl behind the counter, and she says, "Oh, is that your daughter? How old is she?" So we're just making some small talk, and she says, "Oh, you know, how long have you been married?" And I said, "Actually, it's been um, it's been it's going to be 15 years here." And she says, "Well, you know, I'm getting married in the next two months." And I said, oh, "Congratulations!" And we're talking about this, and she says, "So can I just ask you this? Um, you've been married for 15 years. I mean, how do you make how do you make a marriage work?" And um, and I said, "Well." I'm not totally positive, you know, um, but I do know it involves three things. And I'm a preacher, so everything comes in threes. Uh, it's three points to, my, to this message I'm going to give you across the counter. And the first is, is that you've got to find somebody who loves Jesus more than you do. Um, the second thing is you've got to find somebody who really, really loves to laugh and loves to laugh at things that you probably should get mad at. Um, so that helps. And then uh, if, you're, if you can pick your battles and not fight over everything, that'll really help, too. And you guys will, will do fine. Um, and so we you know, talked about each of those things a little bit. And, 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 I, and I thought about this later, that that statement is a lot easier said than done. And uh, in, in fact, you know, most couples do struggle. And, you, you know, you and I, we both know the stats that 50 percent of marriages don't make it. And the question is, and this is the question that comes up so often, is why is marriage so hard sometimes? And that's what I want to spend the next few weeks talking about. And I want to spend this message in particular drilling down on that topic. And that is, why is marriage so hard sometimes? Because I really believe there's a reason for it. But we're kicking off this new series that's called Boy Meets Girl. And uh, because marriage has a bit of mystery to it. And I don't, when I say mystery, I don't want you to think of mystery in the like murder she wrote type of sense. Now, I know that that's like a 25 year old. Uh, I, I need to update that, you know, so um, but it's not it's not in that kind of murder mystery, you know, ooh, what's going to happen? You never know. Um, but that's not how the how the Bible uses the word mystery. The word mystery in the Bible um, refers to something that was hidden and now has been revealed. So whenever you see that in the New Testament, that now the mystery. And so there's a few times, a few things that are referred to as mysteries. They're never things that haven't been revealed. They were things that had been concealed in the past, but now have been revealed for us to know and understand. And one of the things that the Apostle Paul talks about is the mystery of marriage. And, what, and in that passage where Paul talks about the mystery of marriage, he actually explains in this mystery the keys to a great marriage. Now, the thing that I find so interesting 
is that in the years that I've worked with, with couples, um, the things that Paul says are the mystery that has been revealed, that these are the keys to a great marriage, they have been re- concealed, now they're revealed to us, these are the very things that people struggle with. They say, I just don't understand how I can make it work. Relationships are just a mystery. Yes, they are, but they aren't a mystery concealed, according to the Bible. They are a mystery revealed. And that's what I want to do, is spend a little bit of time, if we could. So if you have your Bible, open it with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. That's where we're going to be um, for our time together for these next couple of weeks, as we kind of delve into this classic passage of the Apostle Paul on the subject of marriage. But what we're going to do is, we're going to start at the end and talk about the mystery. And then we're going to work our way back. And then next week we're going to start at the beginning of uh, this passage in Ephesians 5 and work our way through as we talk about um, what it is that, that makes a marriage uh, work. But we're going to start in verse 30 of Ephesians 5. Here's what we read. It says, For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Now, I want to give you three things about the mystery of marriage that I believe that I want to drill down on in particular. There's probably a lot more that we can. But for our time, we're going to drill down on three things in particular. Then the first one is this, if you're a note taker. And that is that marriage is a mystery because people are, here's a fill in, people are fundamentally flawed. People are fundamentally flawed. Now, here is the challenge of marriage. And I think all of us would realize that this is the challenge of marriage. You're taking two sinners putting them in the same house, and now the Bible says, have perfect harmony. Like, what? Now, the reason why this is difficult, and those of you that have been married for more than six months, you know, like the first six months of marriage are so difficult because there's a lot of things that you do that are like totally annoying. The problem is you don't realize it because it's the way you've always lived. And maybe you were raised by wolves, and that's the way you did it when when the wolves were raising you. But the other thing is, is that the person that you married, they do things that are like totally obnoxious. But they don't realize that because in the world in which they grew up, that thing that's totally obnoxious is actually considered normal. As weird as that might be. And so you have, right, so you get together, you know, you have a couple, they get married, they move into each other. And then one of you has this crazy idea that the toilet paper roll, the paper is actually supposed to come out through the bottom. And like, everybody knows that that's nuts. It always goes through the top. It always goes through the top. That's what the Bible says, that it's supposed to go through over the top. And so, but you got people that they just don't realize because, you know, they were raised by these people that are totally nuts that taught them that, no, 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 it goes through the bottom. And then there's this thing like, well, I'd like to go through the top. Well, I'd like to go through the bottom. Well, now we have some kind of conflict. You say, well, how do we solve the conflict? The guy who wants it over the top is right. That's it. And, uh, but, but here's the thing, is that we are fundamentally flawed as people. I counseled this couple years ago, and I'm telling you the story because I asked their permission. Um, I actually asked their permission while they were, I was meeting with them. I'm like, are you, can I tell this story later? Because it's too good to just keep between us. And they said, okay, this is years ago. This is about, about 11 years ago they told me this story. And they did give me permission. This couple comes into my office, and uh, they were on the verge of... Uh, divorce. I mean, they were mad. And this is a couple I'd gotten to know a little bit. And uh, so, th- I mean, they were yelling, like, 
um, <clears throat> they sat down in my office and I'm like, so what brings you in? You know, and um, they just started arguing, right? Like right in front of me. You know, there's, well, you said that, but you said I mean, it was like one of those UFC, you know, cage matches. You know, oh, you know, it was like something, it was like a verbal body slams and all that. I mean, it was crazy. And, um, and, and the thing is, they'd only been married for like four or five months. And I'm watching this like, this is like better than cable. You know, this thing. And uh, so I'm like, okay, what, let me take, okay, let's stop. First of all, let's break it up, you know, you know, blow the whistle. Let's stop. All right, so what got you to the, instead of saying what brought you here, what got you to the point where you said, I think we need to go talk to somebody. And, and he speaks up and he goes, well. Let me tell you what happened. We were talking, it was a Monday that we were meeting. And so he, uh, this, he tells me the story that happened two days before. It happened Saturday morning. He's what? Saturday morning. We're enjoying this nice Saturday morning, uh, on the deck behind our house. They had this deck, um, this wooden deck behind their house. And he says, you know, we're, uh, we have the paper and we had two cups of coffee and we're just enjoying the day. But there's this fly that keeps buzzing around. And so, and we're kind of shooing the fly, and finally I get so fed up, the fly lands on the chair in between us. So what I do is, I take my newspaper and I roll it up. And then I'm ever so stealth, I mean CIA stealth, about getting this fly. Now one of the things you have to understand about flies, and this is, this is important why you got, up from, you got up this morning to go to church, you braved the cold. When church, when, uh, when flies are going to go away. They actually have to put it in reverse before they go forward. So that's why if you're going to kill a fly, you always go, you, you got to take the rear assault because they have to go back to go forward. Now you're saying, I'm so glad I braved the cold for that information. You're welcome. And uh, so anyway, so he says, so, and by the way, I learned it in that meeting. So this is why, you know, it's always an education. So, he says, so I'm, I'm coming up behind the fly. I've got my weapon, and I'm, he's going he's gonna to try to just, like, put it in reverse where he hits the afterburn, and I'm going to crush him with, you know, the lifestyle section. And uh, so he does that, and right as I'm about to do that, she just shoes the fly away. And I'm like, what are you doing? Don't you see? Don't you try to ruin my life? You ruin everything I try to do. And I'm like... Really? You know, like, and he's like just, go, I mean, just going after it, like talking. And it's just like, the, our whole relationship is like the fly. The whole thing. Everything I do, she destroys it. And because it's just like the fly. And I'm like, are you sure it happened just like that? And he said, yes. I said, I need you to be very sure because I'm going to retell this story like a lot. And I need to know it was right. He says, this is how it happened. And I said, okay, so basically I'm going to take notes. You're getting divorced because of a fly. Does that bug you at all? Right? It's a bad joke. I'm sorry. Um, and, and so now we start working, you know, like, all right, let's reel this in. And we start working it back. And, uh, but listen, but part of the mystery and part of why people say it's just so hard, how does it doesn't work? It's because God takes two people that are very, very different, that are fundamentally flawed. All of us are fundamentally flawed. And He makes them one. 
And my friends, that challenge is much harder than it looks. One of the things that I've seen in working with couples over the years is that men and women get married and they are totally unprepared for how different they are. Because when you're dating, everything is cute and fun and interesting. And you're like, it's so funny how different we are. Opposites attract. But listen, you know, you get married and then opposites attack. That's the other thing that you didn't know. And that changes. And listen, and the thing that is just funny to me is that God takes people. I'm t- I've done so many wedding ceremonies. Um, and uh, has, like I, I, I'm standing before this couple and, and I'm saying it and I'm happy for them. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't even know how you guys are even friends, much less getting married. You're like so totally different. Um, I would never have pegged you. And yet. Um, many times these are the people that have like the best marriages. So it's not that it's not a, a an assessment on whether they're going to make it. It's just it's amazing how God puts two people together that are just so absolutely different um, in, in, in what they like or don't like and all of that stuff. But part of this mystery is that God takes people that are fundamentally flawed and he makes them one. In your notes, it says this in, in the very first wedding ceremony in Genesis chapter two. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be, and be joined to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. You see, when two people get married, God takes two and makes them one. And I don't want you to think that you're like the conglomerate of one another. And you kind of like lose who you are. And so it's like, you know, you're not Brad and Angelina, you're Brangelina. That's who you become. You become like this more metamorphic thing. Um, I've told Carrie that we should never do that with our names. Um, and she asked why I said, because we'd cease to be Bob and Carrie and we would become Barry. And that's just that's just weird. Um, but, you know, but becoming one flesh doesn't mean that you lose. Um, you don't lose the things that you're interested. In. It doesn't mean you have to only like the same things. What it does mean is that there is a shift in your primary identity in a Jewish culture that uh, the Bible was written in. Family was was a big deal. Family was everything. One of the reasons why people who are newer to the Bible, one of the questions they ask is, man, there's all these lists of people's names and -and so-and-so had a son named so-and-so and and this person begat this person and begat this person. And they had, like, why is that? And there's all this story, there's all this real estate taken up about family history because family history was everything in the ancient world. And yet for two people to become one, it involves them leaving their father and mother and making their primary connection not be their mother and father anymore and their primary connection being their spouse. And it means that your primary identity goes from being the son of this couple to now your primary identity being your connection with your spouse. You see, one flesh is not what happens when you put... um, it's, not, it's like a vinaigrette dressing. It's not like that. You see, we all have that. You know, that some kind of dressing that's primarily oil and water. And you know what happens when you don't use the oil and water a lot? You, get, you open up your fridge and you get it and you'll find the oil and water has totally separated. You see, those two things have not become one. They may be living within the same receptacle, but they are not one. They are fundamentally separate. And nothing that you can do, there's no, there has to be some kind of change at the molecular level to actually make those two things one. This is not what the Bible is talking about when it comes to two becoming one flesh. When, you, when two people get married, it should change them. Listen, 
I am a different person than I was when I married my wife 15 years ago. My wife is a different person than she was when I married her 15 years ago. That's because marriage should change you. And that is a healthy thing. You see, but culture has this other idea of marriage. It's not one flesh. Instead, it's this mutual agreement where we decide that we're going to be married, but we're going to keep everything as separate as possible. So we've got separate bank accounts, and we've got separate bills, and we've got separate goals, separate ambitions, and separate dreams. And the day that when I try to do my thing, and you're not helping me accomplish my thing, but if I feel like you're detracting me from my thing, that's when we're going to have big problems. That's oil and water relationship thinking. And my friends, oil and water relationships don't work because there's no cohesion. One flesh is the exact opposite of that. The mystery of marriage is that you become one flesh and your primary identity is now linked to this person that you're married to. And that your spouse, listen, this is, this is so huge and I never realized this early on, that your spouse has the ability to reprogram your self-image, what you see in yourself, what you believe about yourself, what you don't believe about yourself more than anyone else. And that then either creates or detracts from the oneness. When you were a kid, the loudest voice in your life was the voice of your parents. And, and listen, many people spend their whole lives running from everything that their parents said or everything that their parents should have said but didn't say or everything that their parents did or didn't do. And so they find themselves just struggling because the loudest voice in their life said something very, very hurtful and negative, or they should have said something to build them up and lift them up, but instead there was silence when there should have been praise. And so what happens? What happens is now in marriage, you become the loudest voice. And you have the ability for your husband or your wife when they speak words that build you up to take you to levels that you never thought possible. Or you can speak words that, that are negative that actually can be like an atomic bomb in, 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 in your life. Now let me tell you um, something a little more personal. Um, there is something interesting that happens when you stand up on a stage and talk for a living, okay? Um, I, I'm a Bible teacher. I'm a pastor. I write books. I speak at conferences, and I do things like that, okay? Um, that's, that's what I spend most of my life doing. Now, when you spend your time talking to crowds, there's going to be a group of people that really, really like you. There's going to be a group of people that are like, eh. There's going to be a group of people, hopefully that's the smallest group, they're like, that guy's horrible. You know, I mean, like, I would never, I would consider it torture to actually have to hear him ever again. Um, and so there, there's that group, you know, there, there's these different groups. And so what happens is, is that, you know, you hear different things. You know, hey, pastor, that was wonderful. Pastor, that really encouraged me. Pastor, that was, eh. hey, that was really horrible. I hope I never, ever hear you again. Um, there, there's that. And, and I can tell you this, um, you know, Having done this for so long, when people will tell me, you know, or, or usually they don't tell you, they send you anonymous emails, um, which is like the height of cowardice, if you ask me. But, um, but I can tell you this fairly honestly, I really could care less. Um, like, oh, but you know, doesn't it bother you when people are, um, are, are like negative or say that not really, I, I really don't care. Isn't that insensitive that you don't care? Probably, but I really don't care. I'm just being honest. It just doesn't affect me at all. Um, but 
the only earthly opinion that matters to me is, is, the, is the opinion of my wife. Because um, if a hundred people tell me that a message that I give or a talk that I give or uh, something at a conference that I give is bad, and my wife tells me it was great, my natural conclusion is that those hundred people are crazy and my wife is right. Um, if I have a hundred people tell me it's wonderful and my wife says, hey, it was good, it wasn't your best, that it was good, I start to think, I have to stop doing, I need to become a mime. I can't talk, I, you know. That's what I got to go move my career in that direction, you know. Um, and, and, and the whole thing is <laughs> because your spouse has that megaphone. And the truth is the voice of your spouse really is a megaphone and everyone else is not much more than a whisper compared to the, the, the power and the significance of the voice of the person that you've become one with. That's why the Bible says this in Proverbs. It says life and death are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. My friends, the mystery of marriage is that people are fundamentally flawed. And God takes fundamentally flawed people and puts them together. Because marriage is God's discipleship program that smooths out our rough edges and makes us more like Jesus. That's the first issue, the first um, key here to, to the mystery of marriage. The second is this. And that is that the mystery that marriage is a mystery because the essence of marriage is the vow. The essence of marriage is the vow. Um, the, the first wedding ceremony I ever did was at a Chinese restaurant. Now, I know what you're thinking. <laughs> Who hasn't done a wedding at a Chinese restaurant? Um, now, I will tell you this, that that is very uncommon. And I've done weddings in a lot of you know, unusual places, but that is probably the most unusual, was the first one. The way I actually got to be the, the pastor who officiated the wedding was I was having lunch with, with my pastor years ago uh, when I was an interning as, as, a, as I was an intern pastor, and, um, and he said, uh, have you ever done a wedding? And I said, no, I haven't done one yet. And so he pulls out a file, and he says, well, there's this wedding that... Um, there's some of the pastors can't do it, and then some of them don't want to do it, so we thought of you. That was pretty much how it went. So here you go. Call them, set up a meeting with them this afternoon, because uh, this was a Friday, and he says, because the wedding is tomorrow. So anyway, I call them, I meet with them, and then um, we set the date. Oh, the wedding was at 11. I said, I'll get there at, at 10 to the Chinese restaurant. Now, I walk in, my wife and I, I tell you, this is such a funny story, but uh, I walk in to this Chinese restaurant at 10 o'clock in the morning and the groom, right as I walk in, I've taken two steps. I see the groom and right as he's knocking back a shot of Jack Daniels and our eyes meet through the bottom of the glass. And he's like, this. now, I don't know where you land on the is drinking OK or not. I think we'd all agree that the Bible says that drunkenness is out, that that's sinful. But, you know, some people say, well, you can't drink at all. Some people say you can drink in moderation. Wherever you land on that, I think all of us will agree that, you know, slamming back shots of Jack Daniels at 10 o'clock in the morning on your wedding day is probably out. All right. And so, you know, while the song says it's got to be five o'clock somewhere, I'm not sure if it is at 10 o'clock in the morning on your wedding day. So anyway, so we meet and then he's like, oh, Pastor, I'm sorry. Um, I was nervous. And so that's why I took this shot of uh, Jack to make me feel better. And uh, I, I didn't even know what to say. And I'm like, I just said, oh, okay. Um, 
I guess, you know, I, I just, sometimes I really am speechless. I'm not really sure because people do things that are semi-insane. Um, so he, then he shows me where we're going to have the ceremony. So if you imagine this Chinese restaurant has like a big buffet area right in the middle where you kind of go around and get all your stuff. And then you walk towards the back. There's an, an area that's semi-enclosed. So they have, um, and I don't know if it's because some of the partitions were broken or something, but it only the partitions only closed like halfway. So we set up in the back. But even as people are coming in, we set up like 20 or chairs or so. But you can still see people. But the whole idea was the restaurant opened at 11.30 um, on Saturday. And so the wedding was at 11. So they thought, you know, 30-minute service would probably um, happen. Well, because things got a little uh, off to a... Things ran late. We didn't start the wedding until 11.30. So people are walking in for the buffet... And then some people are walking in for the wedding. And then there was a couple of people that walked in for both. And they're like, are you here for the wedding or for the buffet? They're like, well, I'm here for the wedding, but I am a little hungry also. So there are some people that they kind of like got some food and they had their tray and they were in the back like, oh, yeah, that's good. I like that. And then there were people that were kind of causing traffic jams because they're at the buffet and they're like, hey, look, those people are getting married. That's nice. They're like, and, then there's like, and then there's like loud, like, lady, move on. I need that low mane, you know. So that's kind of weird as you're trying to like speak words of love and encouragement. Someone's yelling about low main and whatever as they try to get the whole poo poo platter thing completed. Uh, you know, and so, but you know, so <clears throat> we do the vows and the message, the whole thing. They walk out and then I pronounce them husband and wife and the whole restaurant starts to cheer. You know, people are slamming chopsticks together and it was really quite interesting. Uh, but, you know, they were glowing. I mean, once the service was done, but I think that's because my message contained a little bit of MSG. Um, and uh, so they were, but they were very happy. And the cool thing is they're actually still, they left, they moved from Florida, they moved uh, to the West Coast of the United States, but they're still married to this day. Um, but the point is this, is, is that it, what it shows us is this, is that you don't have to have this lavish Kardashian wedding for your marriage to last. You simply need to have the vows. The vows are the essence of what marriage is. I'm sure we've, we've all heard the line that people say, you know, I, we, I don't need a piece of paper. We don't need a piece of paper to show that we love each other and are committed to each other. But see, that sounds really good. The only problem is it's untrue. It does sound really good. It just happens to not be true. And the reason is, is because the person who says he doesn't need a piece of paper is defining love as a romantic feeling that he gets from the other person. And that piece of paper doesn't enhance that feeling. And so because it doesn't enhance that feeling, he says, well, why, why do I need it? See, the Bible measures love differently. It doesn't measure love by how much you're willing to receive it, but instead by how willing you are to give it and how sacrificial you are to give love to that other person. Because that piece of paper is so vitally important because it represents a vow and a covenant that you make to each other. I want you to think about in a traditional in a traditional wedding ceremony. Um, before the couple actually say the vows to each other, they answer a series of questions. They'll answer something like this: um, The pastor will ask, "Will you have this woman to be your wife? And will you make your promise to her with all love and honor, duty and service, and all faith and tenderness to live with her and cherish her according to the ordinance of God and the holy bond of matrimony?" And hopefully, the guy says, I do. And then he sa- the pastor says the same thing to the woman, and she says, I do. 
But I want you to notice something that happens in, in a wedding ceremony. When they're answering the questions, they're not looking at each other. Instead, they are looking at the minister. Because the vow that's happening at that moment is not a vow that they're making between one another. It's a vow and a covenant that they're making between them individually and God, the creator of marriage. And see, then it's only after they make that covenant commitment to God that they turn to each other, hold hands, and say, I promise with God's help to be your faithful husband, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, and sickness and in health, to love and serve you as Christ commands as long as we both shall live. And the, uh, the idea is, that's why the, the essence of marriage is the vow. It's not just the vows that we make to one another. It's the vow that we make to God because we recognize what the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 4 says, that it's a cord of three strands, husband, wife, and the Lord, that are not quickly broken. You see, when a person says this, well, I don't need a piece of paper, what essentially they're saying is, my love for you hasn't reached the marriage level. I still would like an out if necessary. You see, Jesus would say it this way. It's in your notes. It says, The Pharisees came to him, testing him, saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. You see, when a couple enters the covenant of marriage, it is God who joins them together and makes them one. Well, what if things get really difficult? That's what the vow is for. That's what the vows are for. Because if you notice the vows, the vows are not a declaration of present love. They are a mutually binding promise of future love. That's why when you say, I, I promise with God's help to be your faithful husband for better or for worse, for richer or for poor in sickness and in health. I mean, we don't even know how we're going to respond to that. I mean, what if things are better right now, but they get worse? We don't know what that's like. What if we're actually in health, but later we get sicker? What if we're actually poor, but God blesses and now we're richer? Or vice versa. We don't know how we're going to respond in those situations, so all that we can do is simply make this mutually binding promise of future love that says God is uniting us together. And if God is uniting us together, let not man separate that because what we're going to do is hold on to the promise and the covenant that we've made here together. That it, whether it's good or bad, rich or poor, sickness and in health, I'm going to love and serve you as Christ commands. That's the best that we can do. That's the best promise that we can make as we make the promise before God and we make the promise to each other. Because my friends, sometimes part of what makes marriage a mystery to many is that they think the key to marriage is a romantic feeling that doesn't go away. That's why there's people, we all know people, that they will get into a relationship and after about a year they will self-destruct the relationship. Well, I just wasn't feeling it anymore. And then they will start a new relationship and then they will self-destruct it nine months to a year later. And then they will get into another relationship. This one went 18 months and then they self-destructed it. What happened? This person, they, they went, once they didn't feel it anymore, then they, they thought the relationship was over. Can I tell you something? That when... Um, you know, the, the first time that I 
held my wife's hand. The first time I kissed my wife, I mean, I was so nervous. I mean, I had like butterflies. The first time we went out to dinner, I, I, had, I had butterflies. But, I, but can I tell you that now it's been almost 20 years, 15 years of marriage, three kids later, we sit down to have dinner, and, and it's like, well, do you have, you know, it's like, Bob, you're not eating your food. I know, I'm just so nervous, you know, right? I, I don't have that. So you mean you don't get butterflies when you, when you kiss your wife? No, it's not like it was. Well, that's terrible. No, it's because the relationship has matured and it's so much deeper than that now. It's not just a surfacey feeling. It's gone so far beyond that. But listen, if all that, that we will make as, well, this is what love is, is just this kind of romantic, fuzzy feeling. Listen, we will never build a marriage that lasts. And marriage will always be a mystery that's concealed rather than realizing that it's a mystery that's revealed. Because marriage simply isn't a feeling. It's the vow. It's the covenant that we make before God to each other in front of our family and our friends. It's so much deeper than that. Let me give you the third one. The marriage is a mystery because marriage is a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of the gospel. There is no institution on earth that will deal with our selfishness, pride, ego, obsession with me than marriage. I had a guy come up to me uh, about six weeks ago, a uh, great guy, and he said, Pastor Bob, I really want like an intense discipleship program. Do you know where I can find that? I said, yes, it's called marriage. And, um, and he's like, you know, is there like <clears throat> a book or a Bible study that will really make me more like Jesus? I said, yes, get married. Um, because marriage will bring out all the junk that you hide from other people, that person that you're married to, they will see all of it in living color. And, uh, and this is why sometimes we'll say, you know, he's just so different than, he's so different now that we're married than he was when we were dating. Like, of course he is. Right? Because when you're dating, you're trying to put your best foot forward, you're taking a shower, you know, you're, you're, right? You're, you're, you're doing all this. Because you know who you really are. Nobody wants to marry that guy. So you're trying to dress it up a little better and be like, no, this is really who I am. You know, that's why if you notice, it's like candlelight dinner. Why? You can't even see him that well. See, even there. Yes, baby, I'm here. And he has like a James Earl Jones voice. Then you get married like, what's up, girl? You know, and like, what happened? I thought I was marrying Brad Pitt. I woke up next to armpit. What's that? And listen, and the crazy part is that not only do we, you know, do husbands and wives trying to cover it up with their spouse. Listen, we do that to ourselves with the other person. It's amazing how we do it. You know, when you're dating and, you know, your, your fiancé or boyfriend or whatever, you know, you're getting married. And um, he won't even listen to you because he's so intently watching the game. And you're like, I love how he's so passionate about things. You know, it's so cute. Like, you're married for three months. You're like, will you get up, you bum, and take out the garbage? You're obsessed. Triple overtime. It's going to be a tie. Let's just move on. You know, and, and, it's, and it's like, how did we go from, it's so cute, to, I'm going to kill him. How did we go from there? And listen, and then, guys, it's so funny. Guys, we do this. You know, you're, you're, you're marrying a girl, and she spends so much money on clothes. And here's what you think when you're dating. Listen, man, I just love, she wants to look good for me. That's what it is. She wants this. And so she wants to look good for me. That's what it is. And then you get married and now you're getting all the receipts 
of this. And you see that and you're like, how do I look? Expensive. Are you trying to bankrupt me? Like, don't you already have red shoes? Oh, but those are burgundy. These are more of a lipstick red. Like, you know, and this is this, right? Like, now it's not. He's trying to look good for me. She's trying to kill me financially. That's, you know, and this is how the whole thing changes. And, and, the, and the point is this. Listen, it is impossible to understand marriage without understanding the gospel because marriage is a picture of the gospel. Every wedding I've ever done, I talk about this fact. That marriage is a picture of the mystery between the relationship of God and His people. There's a reason that in the New Testament, God's people are called the bride of Christ. We're called the, the bride of Christ. Now, guys, I understand there's some guys like, you know, I don't want to be called a bride. Now, guys, listen. Macho man. In a manly contest between you and Jesus, you're probably going to lose. So, put on the dress and like it. Okay? Uh, so that's just that. But we're called the bride of Christ, listen, because the understanding is, is that, that marriage is a picture of the gospel. The reason Jesus is supposed to be first in your life is one of the reasons it's, it's a picture of how marriage is supposed to work. God says, have no other gods before me. In a marriage relationship, there should be no other relationship that takes priority or precedence. And this is why the same reason that people have problems in marriage, they are the same problems that people have when they come to know Jesus. Because they say, I'm going to come to know Jesus, and then Jesus is going to solve all of my problems instantly. And it will be happy, and I will become the new Mr. Rogers. Now, you know, it, you know, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood of Hialeah, or wherever you're from, you know, and you're just like, you're, you're, you're excited, and things are good, right? And, and so... Now, and then you get frustrated because everything didn't work out. Traffic? No, 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 I'm a Christian now. Part, just, you, then you're like, part the Red Sea. You know, you're trying to part the traffic on the Palmetto Expressway, and nothing's moving. And, you know, and then people are looking at you because you're going like this while you're driving. Um, and then you're wondering, like, you're not really looking at the road either. Um, but then, you know, it's like, well, I became a Christian, and I didn't get the front spot at, the front spot at Publix every time. I had to park all the way in the back. I had to burn like 10 extra calories to get in there. Thankfully, I bought a box of donuts, so it worked out. And, uh, but, you know, it's like, so I didn't get all the green lights, and there's still traffic and all this. Why? Because sometimes we think that it's like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to become a Christian, and then every problem that I have is going to go away. Can I be honest with you? When you become a Christian, sometimes your life gets harder. What? That's not in the fine print. Listen, Jesus said... If they hated me, they're going to hate you. You know, there's a lot of persecution, even in America, amongst Christians. So, yeah, it's probably not going to be all roses if you become a Christian, but here's what you're going to have. You're going to have someone with you who says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. That this is not the best that it gets. If you're a Christian, can I tell you this? This is, a, this is the worst that it's ever going to get. And that only gets better from here. If someone isn't a Christian, this is the best it's ever going to get. And it only gets worse from here. And that's part of the promise that we have in Christ. But listen, but the same thing happens in marriage. That people get frustrated because marriage doesn't give them the feeling of happiness that they, that they didn't want to have. And they're like, no, no. And I ask people, like, why do you want to get married? Oh, because I want to be happy. 
Listen, if you want to get be happy, buy a season pass to Disney World. Don't get married. Mar- marriage is not supposed to make you happy. You know, what, here's the thing. Marriage wasn't meant to make you happy. Marriage was, ma- was created to make you holy. Marriage was created to make you more like Jesus. And so God is using marriage to make us more like Him. So here's my word to you. Don't give up. Is it hard? Yeah. But my friends, divorce is much harder. Listen, and if you say, man, we're just at the end of our rope, then you get help, then you talk to a counselor, you meet with a pastor, you do whatever you have to do, but you make a decision that you're never going to give up. Because we made a vow, we covenanted together before God to each other, before those that we cared about. And we said, we're going to do this and we're going to make it last. Now, singles, can I talk to you for a moment? Because sometimes you can hear a message like this and you can say, boy, I hope to hear a message like this after I get married. It's going to be really helpful. Can I, can I tell you the, the, the truth? Is that your future marriage is being built right now by the decisions that you make. Your ability to experience real intimacy in your future Marriage is being decided right now by your commitment to stay pure, by your commitment to Jesus, to draw close to Him. And I know that in our culture, listen, in our culture, it's becoming the norm to say, well, we want to get married, we're going to live together for a little while, and then we're going to get married. Because, you know, who drives a car without taking it out for a test drive? I mean, you know, nobody buys a car without taking it for a test drive, so that's what we're going to do. Listen, my, my challenge to you is not to take the bait, that it doesn't work. Not only is it sin, not only does it break the heart of God, but every secular study, people that are not Christians and have no interest that we know of becoming Christians, say this, that it doesn't work. As it stands, marriage in in many cases is is 50-50. Couples that live together before they get married, 75% end up divorced. And so listen, we're not the exception. It's just the way it works. Men, can I share with you God's desire for you? It's to find a woman, to court her, to win her heart, and to become a man who is worthy of her love. Um, you know, I, I do all these crazy things for my wife, and um, I, I try to send her, like, flowers spontaneously or get her things, you know, like, without telling her, and she gets surprised, and... Um, If she falls asleep and takes a nap, I will go into total stealth mode and try to clean up the house so that when she wakes up, it's totally clean and the dishes are done and and all this. And and she'll wake up. Oh, what happened? It's like the cleaning fairy just came through, you know. And um, and and while I don't appreciate her calling me a fairy, um, she'll she will say she's like, Bob, I was going to do that. I say, yeah, I know. And she'll say, then why did you do it? And I say, because I'm still trying to be a man that's worthy of you. I'm still trying to, 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 to win you. I'm still trying to pursue you. Because I'm still trying to be the man that's deserving of your love. Girls, can I, can I share this with you? That God's desire for you is to be a woman worthy of being pursued. To live in such a godly way that the man that you would desire would know that godliness is not an option that that's the starting place if he wants to win your heart. You see, to become one flesh and understand the mystery of marriage, you can't be looking for your spouse to meet all of your needs. Because, can I I just tell you this? This is is just everything. 
Okay? Your spouse cannot meet all of your needs. This is why when people say, I, I, I want to get married because I want to be happy, it doesn't work. Because what they're looking for is the other person to be the source of their happiness. And when that person fails, now the whole relationship falls apart. But instead, instead of us facing each other and saying, I want you to make me happy, that's what I'm looking to get out of this. Instead, what we can do is do what the Bible teaches. And instead of facing each other, we can actually stand shoulder to shoulder. Looking to Christ, the one who actually can meet all of our needs according to his riches and glory. The one who actually created marriage and said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The one who now we can look at each other and say, now, listen, you can't meet all of my needs and I can't meet all of your needs. But we know the one who can meet all of our needs according to his riches and glory, according to Philippians. And we can actually help each other and disciple each other and draw closer to him. And the closer that we draw to him, this is the thing that's so amazing about marriage. The thing, the more that we draw close to him, the more that we draw close to each other. My friends, that is the mystery. To realize that God's purpose in bringing this person into my life to begin with is not to meet all of my needs. No, instead, the mystery of marriage is that this person was brought into my life to be my closest friend, my covenant partner that we have vowed together before God and to each other that God is making us one to lead each other to Christ, to lead each other into a deeper relationship with God. And that as we take those steps together towards Him, we take steps together closer to each other. And that's how two become one. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much. Thank You for this mystery that You call marriage. Thank You for modeling it for us through your son, Jesus, and us, his church. God, our hope is that we would experience the mystery revealed as we draw into relationship with you. For Lord, that's the first order of business, is to know you, to be forgiven of all of our sins, And as we do, we look to you to meet all of our needs and then experience the joy of the person you brought into our lives. In Jesus' name.